This episode is brought to you by ZipFit because ski boots don't need to be uncomfortable. ZipFit customizable inner liners are made in Italy using leather, neoprene, and a moldable cork composite instead of foam. The boot is the most important connection in skiing, and if you don't got good boots, you don't have anything. ZipFits keep your foot properly positioned for better power transfer to your skis, better circulation to your toes, and better heel lock. No sloppy BS. They help eliminate shin bang, toe bang, bone spurs, hot spots, and the best part is that they don't pack out so you get the same consistent fit season after season, day after day. Check out ZipFit at zipfit.com and at ZipFit on Instagram to learn what the hype is about. I personally have been skiing on ZipFit for three seasons with the same liners and they're still in awesome shape. I bought them from a race shop and I've used them in a few different pairs of boots now. So I can personally attest to the quality and function of these babies. ZipFits have been such a great way for me to fix all the problems I've had with my boot fits over the years because I've never had something that's low enough volume in the heel to really lock it in there. And I've had issues with shin bangs just because my lower leg is so small. So the ZipFit liners have really helped me get that extra little bit of stiffness and that bit of responsiveness that I've wanted from my gear with what is available in the market. And I've been searching for that perf perfect Cinderella slipper for several years now. And ZipFit has brought me the closest to that place. I'm so stoked for my boots this year that I'm going to throw my ZipFits in. And I think it's it's going to be the one I feel good about. It. I think this is it. So without further ado, Tori's going to intro this episode. And you're going to find out what cool boot stuff we're talking today because it's revolutionary. And we are so excited. So excited. What is up, my dudes? It is Monday, and you know what that means. This is another episode of Big Stick Energy coming at you live to get you through that first day of the week. And holy guacamole, this episode is freaking dope. Why is it dope? Because we are meeting with Matt Manser, who is the head boot designer for Atomic. We got to meet with Matt to talk about their Hawks Ultra XTD 130 boot that is coming out in a true 22.5 and 23.5 shell. Why is this revolutionary? Because women's boots have never been produced at this level of flex. The flex system in itself is an arbitrary concept, and we'll get into that with Matt. But one of the things that we wanted to target in this episode is why hasn't this product existed before and what is it going to change for women? I can tell you myself, I got the boots two days ago and I took them out for the first time. It is the first time in my life my skis have done what I wanted them to when I wanted them to. The amount of force that I had to put into the boots to get my skis to turn at the same speed and aggressiveness that I needed them to, it's bananas. Like it took literally nothing to get them there. It is such a huge game changer for the type of skier that I am and for Atomic to kind of be leading this boot innovation for women and hitting the market first with this product is awesome. It is literally game changing. A 130 flex boot is not the right boot for every single woman, but it just means that we're seeing an improvement in gear design and innovation that will help women progress harder and faster than they ever had before. And it is the perfect time to release this boot because it matches trends in the industry 
for how hard women are pushing to progress skiing. It is amazing. We also talk about in this episode what it looks like to find a good boot fitter, the right questions to ask, um, and basically like when do you need to walk out? How do you find the right boot for you? And what does that boot mean for you relative to your ability, relative to your, uh, your weight, relative to the skis that you're riding on? Like all of these things are considerable. And then you also need to look at the fit of the boot because every single boot fits differently and everybody's feet fit differently. But man, Girls in Gear, everybody knows, is one of the things that turns me on the most. I love Girls in Gear. And this episode, we froth out, and it was an absolute pleasure to have Matt Manser on the show. All I can say is that I am so impressed and stoked that Atomic is leading the way with this type of innovation because holy shit, it's going to change the freaking game, and chicks are going to be out there shredding, and the whole industry isn't going to know what hit them. I can't wait for the level of progression that this type of innovation is going to create and how it's going to help change our concept of women's capabilities in the popular culture across the industry. That's a lot of words, but it's freaking dope. I also just want to say shout out to Adam, Adam Jabber on the Out of Bounds Network. We love you, bruv. And we are so happy that we have the ability to use this platform, your platform, to bring this type of information to chicks in the industry because, yeah, it's the bee's knees, my dudes. We're going to get into the episode now, but I hope you have a great Monday. This is a new episode of Big Stick Energy dropping in three, two, one. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Um, just, you know, name what you do and. Yeah, so this is the official start. So far, because yeah. we're recording already. Here we, we are. are <laughs> we are starting. So, yeah. Um, first off, thanks for having me. Really happy to be a part of the conversation and hopefully I can contribute some worthwhile points. Um, yeah, so my name is Matt Manser. I am the global product manager of Alpine and Touring Boots for the brand Atomic. And I currently am, I live in Austria. So I'm right now at home uh, in Caprun. It's a little town just underneath the Kitsteinhorn Glacier, which is open and ready for skiing. And so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting on snow as soon as possible. Um, yeah, I've been in this role for now uh, 11 years, which is pretty crazy to say out loud. Can't believe it's been that long. Um, and before that, I was a boot fitter in Vermont, USA, um, working with matchstick athletes, X Games athletes, consulting for brands like Atomic, telling them what's good and what's bad about their boots. And yeah, I was lucky enough to join the Atomic team. And uh, now I can just be a I can be paid for being a boot nerd. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think I think one of the things I, I have been trying to do at Atomic is bring that, um, like that boot fitters perspective to the R&D side of ski boots. Because for a long time, especially when I was a boot fitter, I was always wondering, why did a brand do this to their boot? This doesn't make sense. Or I'm missing this style of boot. Why doesn't it exist? And I wanted to bring those real life boot fitting solutions that help not only the boot fitter, but also end consumers as well. End skiers find the right fit, find the right flex. And that's kind of how I've tried to build the range at Atomic is making sure there's things that work for a wide variety of foot shapes and skier types and body sizes and all sorts of things. Cause that's obviously something that's, 
I would say not completely missing, but definitely maybe neglected would be a good word to say of, of and you probably would agree with that, um, that there are certain aspects that are missing from certain ski boots that should be addressed. And yeah. That's a long intro, but that's pretty good. There we go. Yeah. Nailed it. We'll take it. No, yeah, that was awesome. Um, I know that like Solomon and uh, Atomic are sister brands and you see a mm -hmm. lot of like tech and innovation crossover. So is a lot of the work that you've done with creating customizable shells, um, all that kind of stuff, has that passed over to Solomon as well? Or are you working with their R&D team? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's surprisingly separate on the boot side. So like for example, um, obviously we're a sister company, but we're very distant siblings, you know? Yes. Okay. So, um, and I think that's good. Like a lot of, at least on the boot side, um, we try to keep things honestly as, as separate as possible. Like, so, right. uh, atomic product management, atomic R and D atomic marketing, um, all of our testing, all of our prototyping is done by atomic. And all right. of Solomon's okay. is done by them. And the only thing we really share is a place to make the boots. So we okay. have a shared factory. That's where things kind of come together. So there's an operations team that kind of makes sure, you know, things get made right, all that stuff. But I really don't know what Solomon's doing for next year until you guys see it too. You know, it's it's pretty crazy. It's it's um um and in a good way, I think um because history has shown us that some brands have been a little too close in the past. Um, some brands have just blatantly shared boots one-to-one -one and just put one brand's logo on this one and the other brand's logo on the other. And that just doesn't work for either brand. Um, so keeping things separate um, allows both brands to have their own unique identity, their own unique solutions to solving all of these weird boot problems that exist. Um, so things are definitely separate on the boot side. Um, and that's, yeah, I think the, actually the only thing we share um, from a boot perspective is our one buckle kids boot. So if you're a size 15 through 18, that's the one thing that uh, is the same between Atomic and Solomon. All the rest cool. are different. All the rest, uh, yeah, all the other boots, um, like I said, I really don't know what they're doing until it's really late in the game and you, I tend to see things around ISPO timing. So ISPO is like the big trade show that happens in Europe um, around February, late January, early February, I think, um, like the OR trade show in North America. Um, I see things like probably two weeks before that. And I'm like, oh, that's what Solomon's up to. You know? Word. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Things are separate. I think that's good. It keeps things healthy. It keeps things from being too, um, yeah, oversharing, I think is not a good thing. For sure. I guess the that. only product that like minus color waves would probably be the shift, the binding. So binding, this is an interesting yeah. thing. So yeah, talking about other products that the brand share. So like bindings are a 50-50 split. Mm. So in terms of R&D budget, in terms of testing and development, um, half the money comes from Atomic, half the money comes from Solomon. Cool. And that's that's the way it's been since um, kind of both brands kind of started sharing bindings, let's just say. Yeah. So for, since the time I've been with the company, like 2010, like 
way back then it was like the first like tracker touring binding you know uh that frame binding that was a 50 50 collaboration between both brands and same for shift i think solomon loves to tote that they're like the binding brand and they've done everything and we just put our logo on it it couldn't be farther from the truth Ooh, yeah. throw in shade yeah that's the yeah. reality it's not so much shade it's just there's a marketing story that happens and then there's the reality and you'd be very surprised uh, i could go deeper but then it would be starting to throw shade but um no, it's, yeah it's binding okay. binding products are projects are shared for sure yes binding is uh, one of those things that's just crazy expensive and you see when a binding comes out it's the same for like 15 plus years you know yeah but I feel so, like there's also been like a huge innovation kind of movement for bindings, trying to find that perfect weapon that's good for inbounds and out of bounds, right? And that's where mm -hmm. the shift came in. And it's totally. like that that innovation. Um, I'm studying uh, business, finishing up my bachelor degree, majoring in marketing and minoring, minoring in entrepreneurship and innovation. And mm -hmm. like open innovation, it's better to collaborate on things like that, that are you know, you can pull in more uh, knowledge, totally. new capital resources, X, Y, Z, but also the marketing story. Marketing is finding loopholes. I always say I have a degree in bullshit because I'm really good at spinning narratives. It's like mm -hmm. thinking about switching a couple words or a couple images. And then it's just like you tell a completely different story. It's, uh, you know, the, the product meetings that happen when something like a shift comes out that it's like we spend the better half of a year making sure we're both trying to tell the same stories and then we end up seeing at the last minute is that the case you know so there's a, always this weird it, it's two separate brands they each want to succeed you know and yes we are part of the same you know group the amor sports group but i can tell you every each brand within that wants to do their own thing and have the right identity and that means even when it comes time to share a product like a binding it's really making sure all the kids play in the sandbox the right way and share all the toys. You know, it, it's a, it can be a little comical in some of these meetings. It's just like, uh, that your dad will be sitting in uh, next week when he sees oh, I've, I've actually been on, a, <laughs> I've actually been on a, a fly on the wall for some of those meetings, like downstairs and he's like in it and I'm like kind of there and like I can hear everything. So I think I'm, yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> And, you know, in those meetings, it will probably be a topic for um, at some point in our conversation. It's a lot of dudes sitting around talking about yes. the future of gear. And yes. it's really surprising how few female voices are included in those meetings. And yes. uh, it can be really very shocking. Yes, we, uh, Renee and I have talked about this a lot. It's like, whenever I go into a ski shop, I love to walk in and be like, do you have any girls working in hard goods just to stir the pot a little bit? And it's really funny mm -hmm. to watch them scramble. Yeah. Both of us have been the only chick working in hard goods and it's a really weird place to be in. So not surprising. Right. It's like that at the top of the food chain as well. Yeah. It's it kind of it's unfortunate that it's kind of, you know, top to bottom from brand to in the retail shop, kind of a very similar, um, like split between the sexes, you know, it's, and then there's not a lot of them, you know, um, within the brand, like there's a lot of marketing people, I think, like females in marketing, but not a ton in product development or R and D 
you know, that's, it's pretty rare. And it, even on the sales side, when you get, get into these meetings of, you know, what color should the girl's boot be? And it's 20 guys deciding that. <laughs> You're just like, what's going on here? How is, how does this make sense? Yeah. yeah. So Do for any, any women listening, you know, if you want to be involved in um, a brand like Atomic or Solomon, you know, like these brands would love the opportunity to hire more women for sure. Like no question. They, they see it as a problem. It's just not well, a whole lot is done, you know, for whatever reason um, kind of thing. But um, yeah, don't be shy. Put your, 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 your name in the hat kind word. of thing. Well, the opportunities there. I graduate in January. So cough, cough, nudge, nudge. I'm <clears> on the market. <laughs> yeah. How's your German? Uh, no sprechende Deutsch. Okay, <laughs> definitely not German. So. That's halfway there. That's pretty close. Um, so do you, I guess you, you already touched on it. So let's just, let's dive in. Do it. <laughs> let's dive in. Uh, so there's a couple things there. One is that there are no women in those conversations and what is the reason for that but i think that just dives few, us yeah. into or yeah. few yeah and it just dives us into like a more cultural conversation where it's mm -hmm. starting as low as the ski shops tori and i worked for where we're the only one there so totally. something is preventing women from being in that like first position of boot fitting and having that boot fitting expertise to then being at the table with brands like Atomic or Solomon or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing, which is I think where we're kind of hoping to go with this conversation is if all these mostly dudes are sitting around the table deciding on the color and what the next innovation is gonna be, do you see that as being a reason why this is the first time we're seeing a 130 touring boot? We'll just like start to dissect that sure. conversation. Really easy answer, huh? To come up with um, tons of layers here. Um, different cultures weigh into it for sure. Um, I think, you know, even you talk about it, even different industries, like let's just say the science fields, you know, like how there's like a, a, a growing, a, a very strong um, effort to get more women into science, you know, for example, you know. And this is they're, they're wrestling with the same questions that we're wrestling with here and it starts out at just a super young age obviously like parents letting their kids do certain things or not you know i think parents are kind of where this a lot of this would start um like boys should be this way girls should be that way and that really defines a lot of life paths you know and so I think you get those families where it's like, oh, boys can do whatever girls can do and vice versa is where you see a lot of um, hope for the future, let's just say in whatever industry, um, just to get more women into into ski industry for sure, or the bike industry or to science. Um, is just, I think, at a, a very early stage in the cultural game. And that's gonna be hard um, when dealing with, you know, how things are in Canada USA, Europe, Asia, you know, lots of different opinions on how that should go. Um, so I'm not pretending to offer an answer here, but just kind of identifying some of the issues that need to be tackled maybe. Um, but you see it 
um, with those families that encourage, you know, their sons and daughters to go skiing, you know, like your parents, you know, I'm sure you got into the retail side of things because you were avid skiers, you loved it, you wanted to somehow work in that industry, whether it's for deals on gear or just to be closer to product, it's just fun versus working in whatever boring job in the mall somewhere, you know? Um, it's definitely what it was for me kind of thing. So, um, and when you look at how that kind of translates at the brand level, and this is the, the frustrating thing is that brands know this is an issue. Every brand is aware that dudes make these decisions about women's products. And by the time, you know, it's involving women's opinions of what this should be, it's already pretty far down the line in terms of the development process. You know, very rarely are female voices included from, from the start. And I think that's what brands have to be aware of and have to start doing is not just listening to the bros when it comes time to develop something. It's include all of these voices that need to be heard because as you said, I think before we started recording, it's really important to get all these voices heard, at least from a, a selfish brand business level. You know, don't you want to sell expensive 130 flex boots to everybody, you know, or you want to limit it to just half the population, you know? So there's even aside from like the moral oughts that need to be there, there's, there could be motivation from just a purely business motivated side of these people exist. You should sell things to them. They want to buy them. They are out there, you know? And I think that's kind of one of the things, um, I don't know if it was, if it was you, Tori or Renee who mentioned this earlier, it's like, oh, you've talked to X brand about this, why they don't make a 130 women's boot. The, the brand says there's no market for that. And partly true, but the where the answer is wrong or the the answer is wrong is there's no market. Like that that word no is pretty absolute. I would say the market is small, and this is the challenge that brands have to kind of wrestle with. Um, especially on the boot side. And my ski colleagues will probably hate me for saying this, but it's pretty easy to make skis in the grand scheme of things. It's quite difficult to make boots. And one of the things that I'm presented with as a challenge is meeting a what's called a minimum order quantity. So if I want to make a 130 women's boot, um, our operations department, so the people running the factory are like, okay, cool idea. We need X amount of pairs before we even turn this machine on. Can you get there? And I think that's the hurdle that a lot of brands just say, oh, it's so, the quantity is so small, let's not even bother with it. Let's just make these super easy things over here. Um, you know, these wider, softer boots that we can sell 100,000 of. If we're only going to sell 1,000 of these size 22, 130 flex boots, is it really worth it from a business perspective? And that's what these brands are, are weighing. They're like, just the return on investment, you know, the just the cost it takes to run the machines. Are we going to be able to to satisfy that? 
Yeah. And and that has been a challenge for Atomic in the past, for example. Um, when I started with the brand, we had a 120 flex women's boot. It's like 2010. And we had it in the catalog. It went through all the testing and development, you know, with our athletes, with our with everyday skiers, for example. Um, the product worked. It was really good. But when it came time to go to ISPO trade show or the OR trade show and show it to retailers, retailers were like, well, maybe I'll order one. And by the time we collected all of those single orders, we were left with not enough orders to actually justify um, the cost of production and all that stuff. And the boot was canceled. So this is the thing that brands will run into is they'll spend all this time and energy developing the boot. It goes into the catalog. People try to sell it to the retailers, like the sales reps. And then the retailers go, hmm, maybe we'll sell a couple, you know, kind that's, of thing. And that's that's the, the the bottleneck right there. Because the ski industry, at least from a boot perspective, you know, there's, there's, there's no direct to consumer boot brands. So mm. we always have to work through a retailer or a boot fitter kind of thing. Um, and so we're kind of held up by, is a boot fitter as a shop going to bring this in? And if they don't, it'll get canceled. Mm. And so a lot of brands are like, just don't even go through with the effort, man. Don't do it. It's going to get canceled. Why spend yeah. two years trying to bring it to life only for it to die? Um, delivery kind of thing. And that's the thing we've always struggled with, to be honest. And the kind of loophole that I found um, this past season was, okay, we have a 130 men's boot, like the Hawks Ultra Extended 130. It starts at size 24, it goes up to size 29. Well, we have the molds for size 22 and size 23 with a woman's cuff height, you know, it's not a unisex cuff height, but it is a woman's cuff height, which we can get into in a second what that means. I'm like, well, these things exist. We could just inject it with 130 material, make the liner built just like the 130 men's liner, but it has the geometry and size and everything of the of those shells and cuffs. And we could kind of like loophole it in, you know, um, so it's not a true women's um, full size run in terms of size 22 up to size 27 with low cuffs on every size, but it's at least one way we can say, hey, this is a true size 22, a true size 23 in a 130 flex with all the good plastics, the good liners, buckles, everything, and we can kind of bring it to market that way. And so far that's been how we're able to do it, to be honest. So, so that's why this is happening now is because you found a way to like reduce cost and still bring the boot to market, but yeah, like um, kind of cheat our rules a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I, sorry. I'm, is it, have you guys watched the show dope sick? Yes. No, I have. I yes. Okay. So Matt, it's the show that's about the oxytocin crisis in the United no. States. Oh, okay. Oh okay. No, I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. What is it? Oxy oxytocin is a, a oxycotton. It's oxys. But you Not get oxytocin. when you're like okay. pregnant and it makes you have a baby. 
It's Oxy, it's Oxycontin, <laughs> which is the extended release version of Oxycodone. I'm a nurse. Like, I know this stuff. This is literally. Well, I'm happy you caught that because I'm going so red right now. That would have been so embarrassing. <laughs> It would have been anyways. very, very embarrassing for me to not be like, no, Tori, you're very wrong about what <laughs> drug we're dealing with right now. <laughs> I just, my ADHD brain just put something together. So you were saying that um, businesses like brands usually won't go to market because there isn't a market for it. And that's shown through like retail purchasing power. Like, will they do it? Mm -hmm. It's mitigating costs. But in the show, um, like the pharmaceutical company that developed this drug, it's like opiates were not prescribed at the time for long-term pain. So they were like, there's not a market for it. And he was like, we'll create the market for it, mm -hmm. which was interesting. And then it unpacks all of their marketing strategies that target every single touch point along the value chain. And a lot of them are actually really effed up. And I can understand like watching that, the conspiracy theories in the United States and like America's history with the FDA and everything like that. I kind of like understand anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theories a little bit more because holy guacamole, it's alarming. But one thing we've noticed in atomic or not in atomic, but in the ski industry is that there currently isn't a developed market for women, but that also has to do with cultural flaws that women haven't been educated on the concepts of gear because it is a masculine totally. topic. Mm -hmm. So what Wumtang is trying to do is create the market. That's what we want to do. We want to see a shift in progression, representation, inclusivity, and we want to see it kind of level out. So like performing like a dude for a dude or to please a dude or developing products that suit men better than women is no longer the standard. So mm -hmm. I guess um, like this boot coming out right now is kind of, I mean, it's revolutionary and perfectly timed. I wrote an entire paper on like a lot of these shifts in society and uh, the ski industry when I was designing the brand for Wumtang in one of my classes. But it's like there's something called an evolution where women are starting to push into the forefront of where men are currently for education, uh, athleticism, uh, like being homeowners, everything, they're just like surpassing men. So it's like the time to invest is now. So I mm -hmm. guess, yeah, Atomic coming out with this and having you guys on the podcast and stuff, that's part of being that cultural leader and creating the market. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope we can do more. It seems yeah. like such an easy thing to say, oh, we're just going to include these two sizes to the size mix. Mm. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is. It's huge. It's you huge. Yeah. Like any... And you answered a question that I had as well, because another thing that that rep who told me that there was no market, he said, oh, well, it also costs a lot of money to do a mold. So if we're going to make a mold for the 23 and for the 22.5, then we have to sell enough boots to cover the price of that mold. So it sounds like there's like the mold price and the how many you have to sell price. And Atomic was able to circumnavigate the mold size of things to kind of test out how these smaller sizes will go. And then maybe that will change in totally. the future. I mean, depending on how you, this boot sells. Yeah. I mean, like, well, it's to that point, he is right. Like it's ludicrously expensive making ski boots. Like when we make a new boot, whatever it is, um just the mold costs and the testing and bringing it to market like we haven't even actually made real boots yet is about 1 million to 1.2 million euros so it's really really expensive and when the first thing an accounting department does when we hand them our budget we wait we want this much money from you nice amor sports please give us 1.2 million euros for the next boot project 
And the bean counters go, oh, that's a lot of money. Do you need all that? I'm like, yeah, we have this size run. We want to have size 22 to size 32 to cover everything. And they're like, well, we're only going to give you one, 1 million this year. So we're forced to kind of cut something out, you know? And so that's, especially during COVID times and the pandemic, everybody's hurting, you know, money-wise. It's, it's been really tough launching products. Um, so a lot of brands' budgets really got slashed. But in general, um, this is why companies, you'll see size runs stop at 24, 23, you know, rarely you see true 22s or even 21s in, in adult boots um, because of these just return on investment conversations mm. that happen between R&D and accounting. And that's just the real struggle that every brand goes through. And, you know, sometimes we're forced to cut things out, but we've always kind of kept the 22 in. Like that's one of the things Atomic has just fought for. It's like, sorry, super big Viking dudes, like 32, we'll, we'll stop at 31, but we're gonna keep a 22 in the mix. Yeah. Because we know there's a lot of 32s on the market. There are not a lot of 22s on the market. Yes, So. 100%. You know, from a, a, just a, a selfish business perspective, we were like, hey, if I'm gonna have to short somebody, it's probably the big size person because there are honestly lots of options there. Yes. I think there that's a a lot of 22s, you know. Yeah. And this not only helps out women but also juniors. You know, any of those tweeners that are kind of coming up that they are totally killing a junior boot, but a real adult boot is kind of too much for them. You know, having that size 22 in a women's 80 flex or 75 flex gives them a real boot, you know? So we have one of our skiers um, who skis for TGR, Kai Jones. I think he's 12. He's a little stunt nugget. I've seen some of his stuff and I was like, you are a prodigy child. He's a freaking spider monkey out there. Totally. So he's in, um, you know, he's in that size. I think he's a 23 now. He might be a 24. I have to double check. But growing up. You know, um, he he totally needed a boot that could live up to and handle the type of skiing that he's doing, but he's yeah. a little nugget, you know, he's a little spider monkey. I'm like, well, there are these boots. When we sent him a Hawks Ultra Extended, I think a 95, the women's boot, and it was the perfect thing for him because it was soft enough, the cuff was low enough, because he's also not tall yet, you know, he's just a little skier, and that's kind of also how people should kind of approach um, this kind of a segue into that maybe but approaching what boot to be in you know yeah the boot has no idea of how good of a skier you are or your gender or where you ski on the mountain you know it just knows the physical forces that you put onto it and so yes. your your flex has to kind of reflect that. And so even though we were, you know, our athlete manager was looking at, you know, yeah, he could be in a size 24, but the men's boots, it's a 120. That's our softest Hawks Ultra extended, right, currently. And I was like, that's way overkill for him. 
even though he's a really good skier, 120 is just too much boot for someone his size. The 95 would be perfect. You know, I think. I think this would be a really cool opportunity to segue into some of those specifics because like, especially coming from yourself, like you're huge in R and D you're designing those boots that are on the shelf. Um, a lot of women, like I know Renee and I, when we've done boot fitting, I have a spiel that I run through that tries to educate them on what boots I am choosing for them and why same thing with skis, just so they can get like a little bit of the tech under their belt and they can understand how this is going to impact their ability. So like, One thing uh, you said is like, uh, you know, a true 22.5. I think there's probably some people listening that aren't aware of what that means. Um, So like maybe running through that and how the flex is, uh, should be considered relative to your ability, your weight, and then also the skis that you're on as a total system. So the way that Mm -hmm. the flex is going to engage the tip and all that kind of stuff, I think it would really help people kind of understand. Totally. How, so yeah. Yeah. Um, people may not know what Mondo point means. Uh, this was a sizing, um, a size scale developed specifically for ski boots, but I think it should apply to all footwear. It'd make things a lot easier. Mondo point is really the centimeter length of your foot. So if your foot is 26 centimeters long, you are a size 26 ski boot. That's really what it comes down to. There's no US 9 or UK 11, 43 European size, whatever. Um, so it really is just measuring the foot, find the centimeter length, and that's your Mondo point size, like your starting point. Like it doesn't necessarily universally always um, hard line mean that, but that's like your starting point when picking a ski boot. And so <clears throat> a true 22, um, is important because so many brands didn't want to invest in that mold cost for that size 22 that they weren't going to sell a lot of like every brand who makes a size 22 they know going into that project that's not where they're going to make their return on their investment here but they should have it to make the whole thing the whole size run make sense and what a lot of brands have done in the past is they take a, a 23 and they put a a plastic bumper in the toe of the boot to make it feel shorter or they make a thicker liner to make the boot feel shorter but the overall geometry of the boot is for a 23 not a 22. so not just the length but the forefoot width the instep height the ankle placement all these things are important when we talk about true 22. and uh, this is going to be important especially for women because of just small feet, you know, body types, body sizes. Sure, you're gonna have some very tall women. You think basketball players or our Viking friends up north in Norway, you know, there are some women that could totally and easily ski a size 27 or 28. But on the flip side of the coin, you go to Japan or North America, where there's some really small feet size 22 is a really important thing to have. And so it's important to look at uh, when picking a boot that the boot is a true 22 and it's not a 23 with a thick liner or a some kind of filler inside the shell and the toe. And so all the boots at Atomic, um, when we put 22 on the boot, it's a true 22. And even in racing, our race boot goes down to a 21. So we're kind of one of the only boots that has 
in, in the, an adult fit, adult like binding engagement area in the toe and the heel for a 21 as well. So maybe you'll see, just depending how things go, size 21 boots outside of racing in the future as well, because just small feet totally exist, you know? Um, to the point of your question of what flex do I need? This is gonna be, it's, there's no one answer for people, but there is kind of one answer for people. It's kind of a little bit vague, but you want the flex of the boot to be a reflection of the forces you put into it. So what that means is you have to take into consideration your weight, your height, your strength, like your ability to flex the boot, you know? Um, so a lot of physical body size things are weighed into that. But then also, what are you doing with the boot? Are you skiing slowly and not very aggressive? So there's not a lot of force coming back to the boot, you know, from the ski side. Or are you jumping off 20 foot cliffs to flat, <laughs> you know? So there's certain things that the skier has to kind of um, think about not only my body size, but what forces when I'm skiing are gonna be exerted onto the boot from, my, from me or also the terrain just coming back into the boot. So there's a, a matching of the body to the boot, the forces that are generated while you ski. And then also I would say your ankle range of motion. So one of the things a boot fitter, a good boot fitter would do is would be to assess your ankle mobility because this also plays a role into uh, boot flex. We can go deeper into that in a second, but just to kind of put the laundry list of things you wanna look at when picking a flex, it's you know body size, your height, your weight, your strength, your athleticism in general, um, the forces that'll come into the boot from just what you're gonna be doing while skiing, your ankle range of motion. And then once you've satisfied that group of requirements, then personal preference. I, I like a softer boot or I want a stiffer boot. You know, you kind of have to satisfy some necessary requirements before you weigh your personal preference into it. Quite often I hear, well, I'm skiing park, I want a softer boot. That's generally not the case for a lot of park skiers. So you can imagine if you're hitting a 30 foot tabletop, you know, you're gonna be going fast. You're gonna be falling out of the sky at a pretty high level or a pretty high height and landing with a certain force. All those things combined are going to require a boot that can support you as a skier. Otherwise it's going to collapse and you're gonna potentially hurt yourself or fall. So even if you're park skiing or skiing powder or whatever, you, you really have to consider the forces that you're gonna be putting into the boot. And all of this gives you a general direction of kind of where to go. Ultimately, I like to tell people, you should be skiing the stiffest boot that you can still properly flex. This doesn't mean you grab the 150 race boot off the shelf because as the stiff, Matt said, get the stiffest boot I can. It's all about getting the stiffest boot that you can properly flex. So you can imagine if somebody is relatively short and skinny, they don't weigh a lot, 
but they're a really good skier, that might mean still 100 flex or something could be the stiffest boot they can properly flex. Conversely, you could imagine a beginner who is just really big. Let's just say they're a really tall Viking from Norway. They're 200 pounds, six foot three, but they're a beginner. Putting that person into a beginner, you know, 80 flex boot would be not very fun for them. Mm. They would behave like a flip-flop under them. It'd be way too flexible. It wouldn't be supportive. So I guess a very long-winded answer to this, sorry. No, um, that's okay. I think taking all those variables into account, and that gives you a general direction of what to try on and look for. And unfortunately, because there's no standardized system of flex in the I was just going to say that. I was like, everybody you, needs to know. <laughs> like, you, even you gotta put within them on. brands sometimes Yeah, within well. brands, it's, 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 it's going to be really tricky, um, which we can talk about next. But you got to put them on and just see how it works for, for you. Because one brand's 130 is not going to feel like another brand's 130 to your the point you just made. Um, some brands really don't care at all, and they throw on a 100 on the side of a boot, but it feels like a 70 or an 80, you know? So you have this general direction of, okay, I ski, I'm a pretty big person. I ski super aggressive. I'm awesome. Um, I'm an ex-racer. I want to try a stiff boot. Well, you put it on buckle it up and you flex it and you you see how the boot behaves under your weight under your ability to flex the boot and what i like to tell people is in store you know a boot at room temperature the plastic is really soft things will stiffen up once it becomes frozen so that you have to kind of factor this in into the back of your head okay the boot feels pretty good now but at minus 20 degrees it's going to behave differently is that jump in stiffness something I can cope with or not? And one of the things you want to, how you can kind of assess this is when you flex the boot forward, you pay attention to how much the lower shell bellows outwards. So like when you flex forward, the hinge points of the boot are gonna move laterally, like they're gonna get wider. And every ski boot will do this and that's okay. This is how the boot is designed and it, it behaves that way for certain reasons, but you don't want to turn the lower shell into this, you know, soft jello-y thing. You want it to be supportive enough so it 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 does the work for you while you go skiing. That's part of what a ski boot is going to do. You lean into it. It provides that energy to the ski, and you can ski efficiently. And how you can measure that is when you flex forward, you want your knee to kind of get over the, the toe of the boot, typically. It's like a nice kind of spatial um, thing you can check for. So you wanna see the lower shell move a little bit, but not bellow out overly a lot. You wanna see your knee get to the toes of your boot, like the same plane that your toes are at. But you also, you don't wanna, not be able to flex the boot. So if a boot's too stiff, you'll flex forward and you'll kind of just like, you won't be able to bellow that lower shell enough, which means you won't be able to get your knee over your toes, which means you won't be in a proper like athletic stance for skiing. And so a proper boot 
or a proper flexing boot is one that is stiff enough to be efficient for you. It does the work for you. It's stable. It's supportive. But you can flex it so you can achieve that kind of athletic ready stance that every sport has, whether you're you can envision someone playing tennis or golf or baseball or soccer. They all tend to stand that kind of ready stance the right way on the balls of their feet. Mm-hmm. That's how you want to stand while skiing for just proper balance. So you can react to the terrain and you can make the ski do what you want it to do. So if people are still listening and they haven't tuned out yet, um, <laughs> basically just remember that soft isn't always good. Stiff isn't always good. It's finding the right flex based on your subjective build and the forces that you're going to put into the boot. And when you do that, you're going to have a boot that's the proper flex for you. I'm chuckling because I'm thinking of like, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears, where it's like, this one isn't, is like too soft. This one is too hard, but this one is just right. This one is just right. (laughs) Oh, man. I know another thing that we wanted to chat with you about, and you kind of started talking about skis, is how then that stiffness of the boot maybe correlates with what ski you have. I know something that I've struggled with is having that limit being 110. Then I'm I'm 5'6", I weigh like 125, 130 pounds, but I'm an expert level skier. I like to hit cliffs. I like to straight line. And I find that having, uh, I mostly ski, like my daily driver will be like a 110-ish underfoot, 180-ish length. I like to have a bit of metal on my ski. So I'm skiing a big ski. It's yeah, not a small ski. Yeah. And it's got some metal so that it is nice and damp and crushes through everything. But then it can be tough when I have a boot that also, like doesn't match that because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you could like touch on like the correlation. Well, this well. is kind of what, you know, the, the statement I made about matching the flex to the forces that are being applied to the boot. And this is that kind of embodiment of that, you know, that's the real world, um, uh, flushing out of that definition. It's like, you've got a ski, which is a lever arm. It's 180 centimeters long in your case. So pretty long wood core, two sheets of metal, that's going to behave a certain way. And you need to have the right engine to be able to kind of direct that ski around and the engine being you and the boot. And you can, and you know this, but, you know, let's just say you're doing that straight line. You're going to be going fast when that happens. And therefore objects will hit your ski and transmit a lot of force to you and your boot. And your boot should be stable enough to kind of um, withstand those impacts. And if it's not, that means you have to, you have to do the work. And that's just harder and less fun because you really have to fight to stay in control of your ski because your boot is not matching the forces that are being applied to it. And so those forces can come from you as you flex it, like your your ability just to come down on top of the boot, but also from objects that are coming at you, like just chunks of choppy snow um, that are going to grab, you know, that that tip that's pretty far out in front of you. 
you know, on a 180 centimeter ski. And that's going to put a lot of torsion into the boot and the boot has to withstand that. And so that's, you know, coming full circle, why there are, you know, why there is a need for a 130 flex boot in the women's spectrum somehow, somewhere, you know, um, short of World Cup race boots. I think there's always going to be that solution, but that doesn't really appeal to a whole lot of people quite often. Yeah, and lots yeah. of people are looking for that do everything boot too. I mean, totally. I mean, that's great if I have a race boot, but like I'm skiing off my sled a lot of the time. I need something that I can go uphill on, but mm -hmm. I have no fun if I'm touring if I don't ski downhill well. It like makes the whole thing not at all worth it if I'm angry about how I skied the downhill because my equipment's not working as well as I'd like. <laughs> yeah, and this this honestly was one of the major driving um, forces behind the Hawks Ultra Extended series of boots. Um, not just having that one boot quiver, but having your touring boot fit like your Alpine boot. You know, before that boot, it was really hard to find a touring boot that had the same fit, the same geometry, that your Alpine boot had. And people kind of, you know, um, comment on our name sometimes. They're like, well, you have a pretty long name, Hawks Ultra Extended 130. Part of why we named it that way is so you could attach an association to the Hawks Ultra boot. It has the same fit as Hawks Ultra, the same geometry as Hawks Ultra, the same plastic, all the same things are kind of just one-to-one. -one. But the extended version has those tech inserts, the ski walk mechanism, the things that allow you to go you know, uphill. So if you did have, if you wanted to have a Alpine boot and a touring boot that fit the same way, this was kind of our solution to doing that. But also if you said, hey, I just want to have one boot to do it all in, that's kind of also the flip side of this coin is it is supportive enough, tall enough, four buckles, good plastic, all that jazz that allow you to have that one boot quiver. Because let's face it, having two boots isn't always an option for a lot of people. These things aren't cheap. So having, having one boot to kind of rule them all um, is um, a, a real need that people have. And that's, I think, part of what made this boot um, such a favorite with skiers is that it, it really, you know, it came from that Alpine side, but it allowed you to go uphill versus a touring boot that kind of skied well from the other side, you know? Word. And mm -hmm. it does uphill well. Like the walk mode is 50 something degrees. You know exactly, but it's at least 50 degrees, right? <laughs> It's 54. Yeah. Yeah. See, I knew it was at least 50. Yeah. Like, I was you got close. And then, like, give too much. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is. It's actually a very good walk mode. Um, so it does offer good uphill performance. And it's lighter than some of the other kind of like touring boots that you can use. What's the hybrid boots, I guess you would call? Sure. That's, yeah. There's no really good yeah. word for these categories. Every brand has their own. But, like, yeah hybrid or alpine touring free ride touring anything that's kind of merging those worlds of real alpine fit and performance with mm. uphill mobility mm -hmm. yeah i think the concept of like the amount of force that's going into the boot uh kind of brings up the topic of purchasing for your goals if that makes sense so like 
uh, anybody listening to this, if you're about to go into a ski shop and you need to purchase new boots, new skis, um, think about where you want to be that season. Are you comfortable with where you're at? Are you pushing to progress? Do you maybe want to learn how to like start hitting cliffs, skiing a little bit more aggressively, or are you comfortable cruising around and factor that into it? Cause I find that when I go into ski shops and I stir the pot, like if they don't know who I am, um, I find that a lot of men try to tell me what gear to buy without asking me what my goals are and where I want to go with my skiing. Mm -hmm. And it's very like stagnant in terms of progression. So like those things are really important to bring up with them as well. And then that means that maybe you will move into a stiffer boot and that's going to help you with the progression. Um, and also like changing to equipment that's a little bit more aggressive. Uh, you're going to feel that resistance in the beginning because you're not used to it. But once you learn how to use the equipment, it's going to benefit you and kind of moving up to those goals. So totally very yeah. valid point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's um, cool. It's cool to see atomic designing gear now that matches that. Cause that's also where there's been a huge gap for women is, uh, the lack of development in the gear to kind of suit those goals and help push them into the next phase. And, um, you made a point like way back there, but you were like, the ski doesn't know what gender you are. And I think it's really interesting that we connotatively place those like ideas onto gear. We always say that yep. we don't think gear should be gendered. Like the construction of your foot, calf height, all that kind of stuff is important, but relative to whether or not it knows you're a chick or a guy, like, you know, everything's becoming much more uh, non-binary. It's like the option totally. to I think, identity. you know, especially from you know, my boot fitting past, it's okay. Let's say a guy comes in or a woman, you kind of have to ignore that for a while and just treat the individual. You know, it's what is the foot size? What is the instep height? What is the calf volume? What is the leg length? You know, what is the weight? You know, things that just the physics matters, you know? And when you approach things from that perspective, you will really find the right thing for you, I think. Um, whether you're um, a skier going into a shop or you're a boot fitter listening to this, um, just treat the individual as best you can. And that'll be a, a good recipe for success. A hundred percent. I think like yeah. any boot fitters or people working in ski shops right now, that is a huge thing to notice. Cause you know, when we were talking about, um, the cultural issue earlier, it was like, if you actually look at, um, like systemic, uh, culture, I guess, and uh, like the patriarchy, capitalism, uh, girls and boys are conditioned from a young age very differently, right? Mm -hmm. So in um, one of our previous episodes, I introduced this game that I play with myself. So when I think about something like say it's hard goods like gear, what do you immediately associate with that based on like gender? Is that a masculine thing or a feminine thing? Like challenging those associations in your brain will kind of help you realize where you do have inherent biases. It's like, oh, gear is male. So I didn't realize that I treat women this way when they come into the shop and they start talking about it because I immediately in my head think this person doesn't know as much about gear as I do. And they start talking to the boyfriend or they make assumptions about the individual. And a lot of the time, those processes and associations are not um, intentional. It's just something you've been taught in society. It's like how flowers are inherently feminine or like 
I learned that uh, pink wasn't always feminine. It actually used to be masculine. But then mm -hmm. there was a huge marketing campaign in the 1950s that made it feminine. So it shows you how society really shapes how we view these things. And that's why it's really cool to start seeing cultural shifts in the industry and to see Atomic kind of like leading that as well with a, a stiffer boot. And this episode will hopefully educate a ton of girls and empower them to like go out and get the gear that they need. Um, totally. Yeah. So. Yeah, just uh, it's uh, a small step in the right direction, I think, what we're doing here. It's a big step. I can't tell you the number of girls in our immediate community that are buzzing about this right now. It's like, it's freaking huge. But I know my dad really struggled to like, they, um, they didn't actually bring that many into Canada, which kind of sucks. So yeah, it's, there's it's still that those, barrier, right? Yeah. And that, that age old business question, how many are we going to sell? Yep. You know, it's, that's uh, true. it's just that tricky thing. Um, the, the but end you know, of the bell curves tend to be like, 22 and 32, there's just not yeah. a whole lot floating around at any given point. So if you are on either side of that spectrum, don't wait too long if you find one, you know, like you, you, you tend to have to get it while it's here because there's just not a lot in existence, to be honest. Yeah, you got to snatch that shit up. But you know, like my dad, <laughs> sorry, that was an aggressive way to put that. Um, but my dad was actually doing a a product knowledge at Sundance in Edmonton and anybody in Edmonton, if you want to go in and uh, like get down with some women who are boot fitting, uh, head there. They've got a lot of really talented uh, individuals and in hard goods and a lot of women. So when he was talking about uh, this boot in a true 22, like 23.5, the 135 every single person in the shop was like a true 22.5. They were like, holy shit. And it's like, that's rad because a lot of boot fitters don't really have that in their arsenal to bring out for an expert skier, right? So oh, I think right. like if anybody listening to this wants this boot, if you understand why it matters, go into your local ski shop and cause a goddamn stir. Like have a bitch fit, write a letter, be like, <laughs> I need this boot and make sure it gets up to the heads of Atomic and who's bringing in products so that, you know, we we create that market. Because that's going to, You know, yeah. this is, it's, it's, it's funny you said it that way, but it's it's totally true. It is yeah. like, I mean, that's what I did. I was like, I hit up the shop I used to work at and my manager's there. I was like asking the atomic rep, I'm like, I want this boot. Who's going to get like, it for me? I'll pay however much money you want. I just know that there are only this many coming into Canada and I freaking want one. <laughs> yeah. It, it, no matter what it is, you know, when you go into a retail shop, if you want this ski or that binding, this helmet, whatever it is, and they don't have it tell them because if you don't tell them the shop thinks they're doing something right by not carrying it they don't hear the demand and the only way brands will make stuff is when retailers order it and retailers will only order it if you boys and girls are going to tell tell the, the shop hey where's this i want that why don't you have it oh you really want that Okay, we could probably order it for you. Let's check. And it just, it sends the message up the chain of command, to be honest. It, it really does work because you'd be so surprised how just shops just think they're doing it bang on perfect and they just don't know any better. And if no one tells them, hey, where's this? Why don't you guys have that? They'll keep doing it the same way. They always have. They always look, you know, for me, I used to be a shop employee. I used to be a buyer. And I would always look at what sold at the end of the year 
how many 22s, 23s, whatever it was. And I you know, just keep ordering the same amount until, and I'd always have to go back and check with the shop, um, with other employees, like, hey, did you ever need this? Like, oh yeah, I totally did. Well, tell me, you know, tell your buyer that. But it, it just, it starts with people saying, with, with, with customers coming in and saying, hey, wear your size 22, 130 flex boots. This is a need, I want to buy this. And the shop wants to sell you something. You know, they want to sell it too. So, but they only know to bring it in when they realize, you know, the the customers that live in their town are looking for it. And it, I, I can't tell you how important that is, you know, because the brands want to make it. We totally do. And I'm sure other brands would too, you know. I, I love that you're on the Atomic Hype train and you're pumping that pretty good. But the other brands, I know for a fact they would, they would make it. They totally would. hundred percent. Let's cause yeah. enough of a stir in demand for this that we can see a full, uh, totally. you know, spectrum of boots. Cause one thing we haven't talked about yet in this episode, and we might have to do another one about it, but, um, every single boot and brand fits differently, like relative to the last, uh, the instep height, the heel pocket, um, all that kind of stuff is very different. So mm -hmm. it's like, just because this boot is the right flex, it might not be the right fit. And if you're sacrificing that, uh, you know, the the fit around your foot, you're not going to get the same level of performance. So we do need to see boots like this coming out across the entire industry. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're happy to be the first. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Starting the wave. <laughs> and we are so excited. Like when, we finally got confirmation that the boot is ordered. I called Tori for like several days in a row being like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this new boot. I cannot wait for my boots. Like Tori will tell you, I was like annoying about it. I was like, are you gonna take him to bed and cuddle him at night or what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I understand yeah. the, uh, the gear obsession. So I'm the same way with my stuff. When, when the new cool stuff, I know it's ordered and it comes in. I'm just, I'm ready. I'm so excited for it. I, I know totally what you're, what you're going through, Renee. You're not weird, or you're weird, but we're all in the same weird boat. Put that way. I mean, being normal is boring, so might as well exactly. get a little weird. I like. There's two things that I love: gear, and I also, well, I love aesthetic things, but I love gear. Like, I my vision is like to have my gear room of just everything laid out, like it's like organized by like type and variety. I've got like climbing, camping, backcountry, skiing, skateboarding, biking, and it's just like you walk on, and I'm just like, whew. I always say like girls and gear turns me on a little bit, and it does. <laughs> I love it when <laughs> girls love gear. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Renee, how long have we been talking for? Uh, I was late on starting the timer. So we're at 50 minutes since I started it, but... Debatable. Pro probably okay. like closer to an hour. <laughs> closer to an hour, word. Um, yeah, we should probably keep her toit because we have a... Yeah, we, we do the over-talking quite a bit, but... Um, That's my problem too. If anybody's ever heard another podcast with me, like you get me going on a topic, I'll just keep talking. So someone's got to stop me at some point. I'm the exact same. I'm the same with design. Like if I'm doing anything mm -hmm. graphic design, uh, somebody needs to take it away from me. 
at one point because I will always find a flaw and I will always find a way to fix it. But it's not a bad thing to be passionate about things, I would say. Um, totally. Yeah, I hope everybody listening today, like if you got some more information on BootFit or relative to, uh, you know, the history in the industry, why these boots haven't existed before, how we're going to change that. If I empowered you to go in and like cause a stir in your local ski shop and get the demand stoked, um, let us know what you thought. And if you want some more gear, gear detailed episodes, we can definitely jump on it. But uh, Matt, do you want to like let everybody know where to find you? I don't know if that's a thing. Is that a thing for you? Yeah, sure. Like, follow well, me I'm, on on, I'm mostly on Instagram. <laughs> like I don't have a ton of social media channels. I don't want to be, I'm already spending too much time online. Let's not do too much, but uh, you can find me at um, one nerdy kid all spelled out uh, on Instagram. And I answered tons of questions there. Um, if you feel inclined to ask, I'll try to get back to people as soon as I can. But um, yeah, it's all, we're all gear nerds and it's always fun talking, talking boots. So I For welcome sure. any questions if you had them. Um, before we wrap up, are there any questions that you wanted to discuss that I, I over talked or didn't get to before we go? Oh, I'm sure we could keep going another hour. <laughs> it's up to us. <laughs> we only have so much time. I, sure. And, I mean, we can always do a part two in the future. So if you want, yeah. if there are. And boot fitting is so mm -hmm. complex that even just like getting into a discussion about how to choose a boot fitter or know if the boot fitter is right for you, like the difference between a sport check fit versus an actual ski sure. shop fit, you know? Well, maybe I can give a five minute kind of. Yeah, we'll do uh, five best practices minutes. for people there. How five minutes yeah. how to tell if you have a good boot fitter or if you should go somewhere else. Okay. So <laughs> for anybody listening, if you're if you don't have a boot fitter and you're trying to find one, you kind of have to treat it like you're searching for a good car mechanic or a good dentist. Um, ask your friends. Start out there. Say like, hey, you have you love your ski boots. Where did you go? Where did you get those from? Who was your boot fitter? Um, you can also do a, a really simple Google search, like best boot fitter in Alberta, you know, like for example, like just, just see what comes up and you're going to get some hits from there. You want to speak with people at that shop. So give them a call and ask if they do custom boot fitting, ask if they take appointments. That is a huge thing. If the shop doesn't take appointments, it's probably a good sign. They're not a great boot fitter. You know, you can't just walk into a dentist without having an appointment, you know, um, or if you could be very wary, uh, but you want to kind of treat it like that. They're going to you have that dedicated time where someone has their full undivided attention focused on finding your ideal shoe. And that ideal boot should be reflective of your foot shape. You know, if you have a wide foot, you want a wide boot. Generally speaking, you're a big person, strong, athletic type. You want a stiffer flex. If you're smaller, less aggressive, not very athletic, you probably want a softer boot. Um, but having those kind of things in your head, you know, just try to find the boot that matches your foot. Don't get caught up on certain brands. Like, don't go into a store thinking, oh, much as I want you guys to buy Atomic, um, sure, try them on but be open to finding the right thing for your foot. Like that is the most important thing. 
find the boot that fits you. Don't worry about what your friends loved. You know, they don't have your foot. This is what I tell people online all the time. What works for somebody else may not work for you. And what somebody else hated could be the best thing for you. It really comes down to finding the right thing for your subjective needs. So research boot fitters in your area, ask your friends who they got their boots from, Google online best boot fitter in my area or where you're skiing. Sometimes you don't live in a place where there's good boot fitters. Let's say you're just in New York City or Florida or someplace where there just there isn't that. Well, look at where you will go skiing. So if you know you go skiing in certain mountains, look at that um, that ski destination. There's bound to be a good shop uh, the closer you get to the hills. So um, do your research, try to find good boot fitters and let that boot fitter find the right boot for you. You know, um, try things on, of course, but don't try on 50 different things that'll confuse you like crazy. So really listen to what the boot fitter has um, kind of selected for you based on your foot shape, your foot size, all those dimensions about your, your body, you know? So yeah, I would say that's a kind of a quick and simple way to approach finding the right boot. Mm. Search yes. out boot fitters, don't search out brands so much would be the best thing for you. And hopefully that still means atomic, but if not, it's all about enjoying skiing. So get the right boot for you. And that'll always be the best thing. Totally. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times someone has come in and they zero in on this brand that they like because they see it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You take it off the shelf and you do the shelf on their foot and you just have to look at them and be like, buddy, that's not it. <laughs> well, this is your, I know this is what all your friends are skiing, but you yeah. can buy it if you want. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have so much more fun in something else. <laughs> totally. And yeah. anybody who's gone that route knows getting the wrong boot, that's going to wreck your skiing. Like there's nothing worse than the wrong boot. For sure. Yeah. I think like, um, that was a really good like rundown on what to find. I also think it's kind of like, like, you know, if you go to the doctor, say it's a new doctor and they're not really listening to your symptoms, right? Totally. It's like, they don't make you feel heard or uh, mm -hmm. individualized in your care. You can also approach boot fitting like that. So like, say for a chick, if they're not listening to you, um, you don't have to deal with that boot fitter anymore. Like you can totally. go to another shop. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also important to like, one thing I've noticed working in hard goods is a guy will always tell you how good he thinks he is. And 99% of the time, he's not actually that good, but a chick will usually undersell her ability. And that's also something that um, we've been taught is to be like, you know, we're not supposed to be like forward in our skill sets or like to preach about it. It's like, girl, you go into that ski shop and you own your shit. You be mm -hmm. honest with them about where you're at. And like, you know, like also be honest with them about your goals. Like that's really important too, as we mentioned previously, but yeah, you got to go in and own the room a little bit and also not be totally. scared to walk away. It's like speed dating. Yeah. Are you going to stay or are you going to go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to that point, you know, um, a good boot fitter listens, you know, ask questions and listens versus tells. Yes. You know, you know, at some point, a boot fitter will tell you, hey, this is the right boot for you. Like you just said, Renee, like that's a bad decision. This is a good decision. But to get there, 
is a lot of listening. Yep. And a and, good voice will guarantee mm-hmm. their boot, fit, boot fits as well. Totally. They'll stand by it. They, they want you to be happy in that ski boot. And they'll do sometimes either discounted work or free work, depending on the shop. Um, they'll guarantee that. And that's always kind of a good peace of mind that before you spent, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars on a ski boot that they're going to support you in that decision now and after. So most good boot shops, they have that kind of, you know, boot fit guarantee or some kind of fit guarantee to to help you out. And what you said, Tori, you know, as a skier, as a customer buying a boot, be honest about what your goals are. You know, if you're not the best skier on the mountain, don't claim to be mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, that goes for everybody, you know. Um, Unless it's for just, NAR points. Sorry? <laughs> Unless it's for NAR points. <laughs> Unless you're going to get 10 extra NAR points. That's yeah. when you do it. Only them. I mean, but, anytime um, I'm boot fitting or I'm selling skis, I always ask people, I was like, so are you technical or aggressive? I was like, you can technically be aggressive but not a technical skier so maybe you're in the back of the boot a little bit more but you're screaming semen down the hill thousand (laughs) kilometers an hour completely out of control and you're just like hacking the shit out of that equipment kind of like a 14 year old boy jacked up on testosterone or you're in the front of the boot you're looking to like finish your turns you're engaging the tip it was like what type of skier are you and you can be both so like those are good things to consider as well because somebody might think they're super good but at the end of the day if they don't actually know how to get into the front of the boot and engage it and you know technically they probably shouldn't be in a super stiff boot because they're Yeah. So it's like aggressive versus technical can also be important things. So let the person you're working with know about your experience. If like you have taken lessons, like what you're currently working on, like, have you noticed where you have some technical fallacies, all that kind of stuff, because that will help them get you into the right equipment as well. Totally. Lots of good pro tips here. There you go. Awesome. Okay. We got to wrap this up. It has been so nice having you, Matt. Um, Everybody go check him out on Instagram, nerd out over some gear. And uh, maybe we can do a part two. And I think it'd be really cool to do an episode to like test some assumptions and some uh, situations where, you know, hard goods employees can maybe do a little bit better. Because that's something I've talked about um, with Adam, like who founded the Out of Bounds Network is, you know, like ski shop employees are often not paid enough to really care about those gendered nuances and how to shift their sales techniques. So I think giving them some tools to help kind of change that dynamic would be really beneficial. And also like um, investing in women so that they do feel better going into a job interview and being like, I've done more research on this. Like I want to get into this because in order to increase participation in those male dominated jobs, you have to invest in women. You have to. And that means like taking the time to train them to like get them to that point. And if we could send them in with a little bit of a skill set, that would be super rad. 100%. Totally. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Happy well, Monday. And Renee, oh. thank you so much for having me on board. I didn't want to cut you off. I was just starting to say that. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. No, thank you so much for coming on. This is great. We uh, been... will, yeah, we'll do a little like social media spam and send you a message when we get to try the boots because we're freaking Oh, totally. Off, so yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Again, thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to uh, round two. You betcha. Have a great Monday, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>